Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, and also be ready to go to Psalm 40. So Hebrews chapter 10 and Psalm 40. <clears throat> so if you uh, listen to the uh, podcast of the Bible teaching on Wednesday night, um, or if you're normally here and you weren't here, um, I, I recommend listening to that or get that CD for this past Wednesday night. And um, I, we've been going through Deuteronomy on Wednesday night, and I, I uh, just felt led to do something different. Last Sunday night, I went to Seneca Baptist Church to listen to my cousin Mike, who him and his family come in in the summertime for a couple months uh, from Africa. <clears throat> His family, very involved in missionary work in Ghana, have been doing it for many, many years, and they built many churches over there. And just the, the examples they have, the, the testimonies they have of faith, um, not having the resources to build a church, but not letting that stop them. When they have a need, they just go for it. And they start it and they pray that God will give them what they need, and they end up always having what they need, and they build churches. They raise up men from Ghana to be preachers. And it's just a, an awesome story uh, of, of uh, work that's being done in places where you know, he was telling us that uh, it's, it, when he comes in, he, he, his mom and dad live up in Toronto, and he grew up over there, so he, when he comes in, he likes to go out and walk around the neighborhoods and drive to different places and just minister. And he wants to witness. He said it's, he forgets how hard it is to witness in America. He goes to Africa, and there are so many people that are so desperate. They are they're desperate and determined to change their life because life is so much tougher over there. So that's the actual uh, title of the message I did on Wednesday was uh, Desperation and Determination. And I took the scripture that he preached on last Sunday night, which was uh, Matthew 15, and that's what I did on Wednesday. So please look for that and listen to that. You've heard me talk recently, and I didn't want to share this during the joys time because I, I wanted it to be, make sure it was on you know, the podcast. And <clears throat> I have shared with you uh, some information about this movie that's been out called Nefarious. And when I first talked about it, I asked if anybody had heard about it. Nobody had heard about it, and which is kind of troubling that a Christian-based movie is not even talked about amongst in churches. The guy who put it out, he had a very uh, good report. When it came out in theaters, it did so-so. But then, a few weeks ago, it went to streaming. Now, I'm not into all that, but I did watch it last couple of Sundays ago. I told you all about it, I think, last Sunday. I watched it, you know, streaming. Somebody ordered it, and I watched it again. Joseph and I went to the movies and watched it, and then we, 
I watched it again with somebody else. And since it's been streaming, it is on, as far as the list of movies in popularity, of movies that are being purchased on streaming, it was number five this past week. And the competition are movies like the Spider-Man and uh, Mario Brothers that, that have budgets for these movies that are up close to $100 million to produce these movies. Well, Nefarious had a budget of just over $2 million. Compared to $80 million, $90 million, it had a very, very low budget, and it's number five in streaming. And the guy who put it out, his name is Steve Dace. He wrote a book called Nefarious Plot. The movie was based on that book. Uh, here, he gets emails. All, he's just flooded with people responding to him about going to see the movie, watching the movie. Now, here's one of the, one of the things that was, uh, I'm just going to repeat one of the things that came in that really opened his eyes up. Okay. This, there's, this, there's this guy, probably a lot like me, who likes this dude and listens to his podcast. Well, this guy knows about the movie, so he wants to go. This is the first weekend, weekend it came out. So he's all excited about going and watching this movie called Nefarious. His wife was not all that interested. So the wife was like, well, I know he really likes this guy, and he wants to produce, you know, promote this movie, so I'll go with him. So they go to the movie. They sit down in the movie theater. Several other people have come in, and this younger couple walks in, and they walk up and they sit down right beside them. The, the woman sits right beside the wife and her date, come to find out, and they, and they were a little obnoxious, you know, making too much noise, and they were being a little bit irritated, irritated to this couple. And the lady said, yeah, this, we just met, and this is our first date. And the lady asked the wife, uh, what's this movie about anyway? And the lady's like, she leaned back and she said, ask him. Well, he leaned over to her, he, he looked over her, and he looked at the couple, he, and they said, well, what do you know about this movie? What can you tell us about it? He said, well, tell you what, let's just watch this movie, and when it's over, you tell me what you think it's about. They looked at him kind of funny. And the movie starts, and they're still over there, you know, commenting to each other, you know, things you're not supposed to do in a movie theater. And they said, five minutes into the movie, total silence. Never heard another peep out of them for the rest of the one hour and 35 minutes of the movie. It's over. Everybody is still sitting in their seats in the whole theater. No one has said a word. No one has gotten up. And he is looking over at this couple who had no idea what movie they were getting into and looked over at them and they were just stunned. Slowly, different people started to get up and start to go out. So him and his wife, well, what do you think? What do you think of it? What do you think it meant? And the guy's sitting over there just shaking his head. He just, he doesn't know what to say. So he gets up, and they, they go to, good to meet you guys. Hope everything works good for you. You know, hope your first date works out great and all that. And they go, and they leave, 
And he goes to the bathroom, and when he's in the bathroom, he's realizing his phone's not in his pocket, so he turns and he, you know, hurries to get back to his seat because his phone's in the seat. So he said, and this has been quite a few minutes, and he walks back, and he said, that couple are still sitting there, and everybody else is gone. I mean, so my point is, that movie is, for especially people who are not believers, people who just go to the movie to watch a horror movie because it's got the label of a horror movie, and, the, and they purposely did that because there are so many young people who just look for those types of movies to go see. And the guy who put it out, he wants that to happen. He wants young people who don't understand the dangers of getting into the dark side. Satan and all of his workers are very happy to accommodate you if you go looking for the dark things in life. So I just highly recommend it. Uh, to see it, you know, you got to get it streaming now. Uh, you know, all different ways you can get it. The younger people know all the different ones that you can go to and, and get the movie. Um, there's, a, there's another movie that's coming out in September. And uh, if, you, if anybody listens to the Unashamed podcast, you'll know which movie I'm talking about. It's called The Blind. So be looking for that. The Blind. Now, are y'all familiar with the Duck Dynasty TV show? A lot of people are very, you know, much familiar with it. So the, uh, the Duck Dynasty crowd, there has been a movie put together based on the life of Phil and uh, Kay. And he was a very wild dude when he was young. He did a lot of bad things, and he was um, approached by different people trying to get him to turn. And when he finally uh, surrendered to the Lord, you've seen what has happened in his life since. He's one of the very few people who will stand up uh, and not be ashamed of the gospel, so that's why they named their podcast Unashamed. And we have very few people, we have very few churches in America anymore that are willing to speak about what the Bible really says because it hurts a lot of feelings, you know, especially today. There's so many crazy stuff going on out in our world, and there's, the enemy's trying to make it normal, and you'll notice that all of these things that are happening, whether it's some transgender night at a baseball game, Major League Baseball, if that's going on, they purposely attack Christians. Why? You know, why, why, why did they pick Christians out? Well, it's because they know, that the evil side knows that, that our Bibles actually speak against the things that they are embracing. So the enemy is going to attack. And if you stand up, if you stand on the Word of God and you tell people what the Word of God says, all of a sudden, you are attacked. And there's many of us who don't want that. We do not want to be attacked. We don't want to be called names. <clears throat> well, if you are true 
to the Word of God, if you're true to what you say, that you're saved, and that Jesus Christ is your Savior, and the Word of God is pure, then you're going to have to be willing to maybe lose your job. You might not be able to participate in things you used to participate in. Get ready to be persecuted as a Christian. And it's going to thin out churches. You know, we're wanting to build church, and, and, and uh, so I could not speak about certain things and just talk about love and peace and joy and all the good things that are in the Bible that everybody just loves, and maybe we can build up, but I'm preaching the whole Word of God. And we might only have a few people here left, and that's what I'll be doing. So I'm going to trust that God's going to bless us for standing on the Word. So let's get into Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Now, the Old Testament and all the things they did in the temple and the tabernacle before, all of those things, all of those innocent animals that were killed and the blood was shed to be taken into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, all of that was a shadow. Now guess what? A shadow or a type and a picture won't do much for you Let's say you're really, really hungry. You're about to starve, and you're begging for food, and somebody takes a a beautiful picture of this gourmet meal, and they show it to you and say, here. And you look, it just makes things worse. You need the real food to satisfy your hunger. Jesus Christ is the substance of what all the shadows and types in the Old Testament was pointing to. Just believing or looking at the types and pictures of Jesus isn't going to save you. You need Him. You've got to have Him. You can't just know about Him. You can be so sincere and say, yeah, I believe in God, I believe that Jesus did this and that and the other, and He was a great person. But until you go after Him, get a hold of Jesus. You know, this past Wednesday, I mean, I, I just wish that everybody has heard that, that sermon that I did on Wednesday. I mean, people, a lot of people say, well, that was a Sunday sermon. Why, why would you do that on a Wednesday? <clears throat> well, Wednesday night was very, very important to me. Very important to me. <clears throat> We have so many lost souls among us. And every person is precious in the sight of God. And I want to see people truly saved, believing on Jesus Christ, going to a cross, taking on all of our sins, all of those sins being placed on Him, and Him dying in our place. Jesus is God. 
in the flesh. The Holy Spirit overshadowed this little girl, Mary. She was a virgin. She conceived of the Holy Spirit. And God Almighty, the creator of everything, was inside of her womb. Is that not amazing? He was born. He was raised up in this hurting world. The enemies were after him and wanted him dead and tried to kill him from the time he was born. And many innocent children died over there in the attempt to get rid of him. And Jesus grew up never sinning because he couldn't, because he was God. And Jesus was falsely accused. He was betrayed by his very own. And he willingly went to the cross to die in our place. And we must believe that. Verse 2 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. You know, there was, there was that human body that was prepared for God Almighty to, to be in, to walk on this earth. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Just think about Jesus being at Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane, where he, 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 Gethsemane, where he had disciples that were sleeping. He had asked them to stay up and to pray with him because this will of God was so burdensome on him. He, he was sweating blood. The pressure that Jesus was under but he had to do it because it was written in the book. It was prophesied throughout the, of the Old Testament, and Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and it was written in the book, and we have the book, and it's called the Holy Bible. This is the Scriptures, and all of that is in here. And Jesus came and made sure, he even said, all right, we got to do this because it's written. Eight. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. And that's the title of today's message. The title of today's message is, Away with the first to establish the second. The old covenant, the old way of doing things will not save you. We are under a new covenant and it's the covenant of the blood of Jesus being shed for us. Verse 10, by the which will 
We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What does it mean to be sanctified? Think about what it means to be sanctified. If you think that being sanctified is after you have lived a good Christian life and you've done more good than bad, and you're, you're, you're uh, you know, maybe getting a little proud of how good you're doing, if you think that's what sanctified is, you're wrong. Sanctified is, being sanctified is not a process. Now, religious people have made the word sanctified a process, but it's not. You are, once and for all, set apart for a very good purpose, and that's to be the children of God, to be born again children of God. You have been sanctified. You when you believe, have been taken and set apart for something more than just a selfish life on this earth. It's done the moment you believe. You are sanctified. Now, you may not be as mature in your Christian walk as others who have been in it for a lot longer. You may not have as much knowledge about the Word of God as others, but you're still just as sanctified as the ones who are way up here from day one. You're just as sanctified. So if you get mixed up on that term, and you'll see uh, different parts of Scripture where uh, those who endure to the end will be sanctified. If you see other places in the Bible and you don't have the proper understanding of sanctified, you're going to start doubting your salvation and then turn it into something you have to do to maintain it. Don't ever go there. Never think about what you do to stay saved. Think about what Jesus did to get you saved and sanctified. And in the end, everything's going to be fine if you keep your trust in Him. Now, if you truly believe and you are trusting in Him alone, then you will, you're going to change, and not because you're trying to. It's going to happen. You will be a different person. God changes people for the better, especially when they look away from themselves and look to Jesus alone. Jesus offered himself, offered his body once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. You know, the priests, they were always busy. They were always standing up. But Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father because it's done. There is no more sacrifice that would do you any good anymore that the priest could do for you. But Jesus sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expect until his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. It's done. It's not a process. It's done. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, 
I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. We talked about that not that long ago. That's out of Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, go over to verse 31, 32, although it ends with 34, and Jeremiah is talking about a future time when Jesus is going to come and actually write the laws of God, all of his precepts, in the sight of people. And their sins and iniquities, well, iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There, there's no more offering for sin. Jesus did it once and for all. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. See, you could not go to the holy of holies before Jesus did what he did. You know, last, last week uh, I was talking about uh, Hebrews 9 and what Jesus did uh, on the day that he was resurrected and he wouldn't allow Mary Magdalene to, to touch him and he said, I have yet to ascend to my Father. And what did he do? And uh, Hebrews 9 talks about Jesus taking his own blood and taking it to the true holy of holies. And because of what he did, we are able to go directly to God because of what he did. Jesus is our mediator. He was the go-between. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. That veil that separated us from the Holy of Holies was his flesh. That veil that was ripped from the top to the bottom, it made an opening for us sinful people to go directly to God. Amazing. And having an high priest over the house of God. Jesus is that high priest. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, notice the wording, from an evil conscience. Sprinkled. Think of blood sprinkling. Now, back in the Old Testament, they would take the blood and sprinkle it on everything and even sprinkle it on the people. Have you been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus? You, you can't show anybody where that has actually physically happened that you had to go and, and get the blood off of you. So it's just another example of how if you physically do something, it doesn't mean anything. It's what you believe. Do you believe that Jesus sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat and by doing that, you being able to go into the Holy of Holies, you're there. You know, the Bible doesn't only say that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. It says that if you're a believer, you are seated at the right hand of the Father because you're hid in Christ. Sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? In Ephesians... 5, 26 and 27, it says, 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it. Talking about the, the church, the body of Christ. This is what it says. In, remember, Ephesians is that doctrinal book about the body of Christ. Christ's church. So this is what he's saying about his church. That's you. Individually, you make up the church, the body of Christ. He says, that he might sanctify, there's that word sanctify again, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The Word of God is the water that washes you. Then, in Titus 3.5, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now these two passages that I just read out of the Bible make it abundantly clear that the washing is a symbolic way of describing how the Word of God cleanses the soul of dead works. The Word of God. That is what washes you. Now there are people who will take that, that passage right there and, and they will say um, that this our bodies being washed with pure water, that that is, that is baptism, being baptized. Well, there's a problem with that. Because most of the baptisms I've witnessed through this church has been down in this river right over here. There's nothing pure about that water. I promise you. Where do the fish go to the bathroom, Daddy? Uh, they, got a, they got a place right over there, yeah. You know, there's leeches in there. I, I pulled leeches off my kids. I mean, there's, there's not pure water. There's very few places. Even if you go to a place that has chlorine water, that's not pure at all. Chlorine's bad for you. So you can be dunked in water, and that's something that we're supposed to do as Christians, but if you think that that is washing you of your sins, you're mistaken. This is talking about the pure water of the Word of God. Now, a lot of what I just read out of Hebrews 10, you can see it in uh, Psalm 40. And we don't have time to go into that. I got a whole page of notes on Psalm 40, so that's going to have to be for next week. So, we're, we're, we're going to be done. I hope that you will be very interested in believing what the Word of God says. Do you have the Word of God? Get a hold of it. Open it up. Read it. It will wash you. It talks, this, the Word of God tells you about Jesus. It's all through the whole book. Verse 7 said, Then said I, Lo, I come... In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. I'd love to go to Psalm 40 and talk about it there, because you see, you'll see the same words over there in Psalm 40. Do you realize that when this 
book of Hebrews was written, that it was a thousand years before when David wrote Psalm 40. A thousand years. And now we, from the time Hebrews was written, all of us have no excuse because we have 2,000 years of examples of Christians who have gone before us who have believed these things and have done great things for God. We've seen a lot of things play out. When David wrote Psalm 40, the people who were around him then thought, think about when he wrote Psalm 22. Joseph and I were talking about that the other night. When David wrote Psalm 22, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now that could uh, match up with David too, because David saw uh, God turn his back on him. Or that's what he felt like, because David did some terrible sin. That part of it could match up with David, but we also know that Jesus said those very words on the cross. But then as you go through Psalm 22 further, it starts talking about crucifixion in detail, and it was a form of punishment that had not even been invented. It was hundreds of years away from being invented. So there's no way David knew what he was talking about when he wrote it. But the Holy Spirit told him to write it. It didn't matter that David didn't know anything about it. He just wrote what the Holy Spirit said. Then a thousand years later, what he wrote happened. So the people who were around him a thousand years before said, we need to get some help for David. We need to find a psychologist or something. He's done lost it. But what we see 2,000 years after Jesus died on the cross, we can see that all those things were perfect. What he wrote was perfect. We have no excuse now. We're looking back on that. It's already happened. But yet we're just, as a people, we're running away from it. And we wonder why this country is falling apart. We've pushed God out. And all the workers of the devil have been very happy to fill the void. The last verse I'll read. Um, let's read these next three verses and then we'll be done. Let us hold fast, let's hold on tight, the profession of our faith without wavering. See, I've challenged you earlier, don't be wavering in this. For he is faithful, faithful that promised. You know, it might be bad on this earth. It might get real bad for you as a Christian. But don't waver. Stand fast. Stand, stand true. Because Jesus is faithful. He's already promised you're going to get really good things if you stand fast with Him, if you don't waver. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort, exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So let's get together. Let's assemble together on Sunday mornings. Let's come together to worship our Heavenly Father because we need to actually do it more and more as we see the end times come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. 
Father, I thank you for all these people that are here today. You know, so many people that have come in here today. Father, bless each and every one of them, please. Father, I hope everybody's so glad that they came to the house of the Lord today. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen.